music, I guess you could call it a music ditty. Uh, we are so glad you're here. And they do a little music thing. This morning, Brother Boggs leaned over and said, man, that's, that, that sounds like a cup of coffee. Praise God. <laughs> a cup of coffee. So he's ready to go this morning. And I heard Bishop say to him, this is Brother Boggs. He said to Brother Boggs, I heard him say as he walked by, just make sure this morning you don't get bogged down. Okay, so. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he's heard that often, quite often. But we are happy to have Brother and Sister Boggs and family with us. We want him to come to this pulpit this morning and preach the word. Clap your hands unto the Lord as he comes this morning. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Amen. God is good. That song says, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Well, I'm going beyond reasonable service and getting a couple of them, so I make sure that I'm going to be there. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord. God is so good. Amen. He is better to me than I am to myself. Amen. Amen. God's love is unconditional means his love for you is not predicated upon your condition. Amen. But he, he loves you in spite of what's going on in your life. So let our love for him be also unconditional. That no matter what's going on in my life, I can still lift my hands in praise. I can still worship you because I'm not worshiping based on my condition. I'm worshiping you based on who you are. Amen. When the Bible says, praise ye the Lord. In Psalms 150, it doesn't give any indication as to praising him based on how I feel, how life is, but it's saying praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him for his excellent greatness. Amen. My praise is about him. Amen. Some people come to church for them. Amen. Come to church to get a good feeling. Come to church, and that's wonderful. We, I never want to let a service go by that I don't feel the presence of God. Amen. I, I want to have a good feeling. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond, and we need to praise God in spite of. Amen. I heard a, a preacher say this. He said, what happens when you don't feel it? Many people say you fake it. But he says that's not the way it should be. When you don't feel it, you force it. When you don't feel like praising, you force yourself to praise. When you don't feel the presence of God, you push until you feel the presence of God. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful to be in God's house. When you understand it's his house, you understand that there are some requirements. When you walk into a guest's house, you can't just kick off your shoes, take off your socks, and put your feet up on the coffee table like you do at your house. When you walk in, you say, hey, are shoes worn in the house? You ask what the protocol is. Do we hang up coats in the closet? What's the protocol of being a guest in your house? God has some requirements when we're a guest in his house. Amen. He said, I would that men everywhere lift up holy hands. He says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. In other words, when you come to his house, there's some requirements. There's some right ways of acting. Amen. I'm thankful to walk into his house today. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful for the goodness of God. I want to give honor to your pastor, Brother Bradford. He endured 
spending the day with me on Friday, the first part of the day, watching me struggle to hit a golf ball. And it was a struggle at that. Amen. But I'm thankful that we got to spend a little time together. Give honor to the First Lady, Sister Bradford. Thank you both for your kindness. They're just real people. They're just real people. Amen. You don't have to try to find the the hidden agenda. You don't have to try to find what they're really thinking. They're just real people. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. They've been so kind to me and my family. Love you, Brother Frost. So sad that your wife's not with us today, but we love and appreciate you. Amen. Is she here? All right. Well, we love Sister Frost as well. Amen. So thankful for both of them. Amen. We've got to spend a few moments visiting, eating some ice cream together, and we love and appreciate their their lineage, their work for the kingdom. Love my girls, all three of them. Paisley today has on her helmet of salvation. I mean, it's called a bonnet. I don't know why I keep having a hard time with that. Amen. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. Well, I hope no one was lactose intolerant because that was a cheesy joke. I just feel like a chihuahua at a canine police training day. I'm just happy to be here. Amen. Amen. One preacher got up on a Sunday morning, and he said, before he began his message, he said, put on your scuba gear this morning. We're going to dive deep in the Word today. Amen. So today, just grab some pool floaties, some arm floaties, a pool noodle, whatever's close by, and we're just going to splash around the kiddie pool. But hopefully we splash around enough that we can catch a wave. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. It's all right to have fun in the house of God. It's all right to smile on a Sunday morning. Amen. The house of God does more for you than Folgers will. The house of God will do more for you than this world will do. Amen. I'm thankful for the house of God. Amen. Proverbs 23. And verse 7, the Bible says, For as he thanketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. I want to focus on that first part of the scripture. For as he thinketh in his heart. If you to really break that word thinketh down, it means to be a gatekeeper of. As you are a gatekeeper of your heart, that heart, that word heart is nefesh, which means soul. As you are a gatekeeper to your soul, so are you. What you allow in and out, what you allow to come into your mind, what you allow to your mind to ruminate on, you will become that. Let's jump back a few pages to Proverbs 14 and verse 12. The Bible says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a way that seems right to my flesh, that seems right to mankind. But as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I want to preach for a little while. When perception becomes reality. Or the way that I think becomes the way that I live. When perception becomes reality. Can you lift your hands towards heaven? Can you ask God to help us in this service? God, we love you.
Hallelujah. Can you lift your voice on a Sunday morning? Can you lift your voice on a Sunday morning? God, we love you. God, we've gathered in this house to give you praise. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for standing today. You may be seated. Perception is the lens that each of us views or perceives the world in our own eyes. It's how we view life because of different walks of life, because of different happenings, different histories. We have a way of looking at life differently. That is why we have different gospels written about the same occasions by different men with different perceptions, different ways of seeing it. Amen. Perception versus reality is an argument maybe you have heard growing up in school or taught in a lesson. Perception versus reality is a thought that our perception, as a youth pastor, I, I dealt with this. I would line out a youth night, and I would be so excited as to what was going to happen, and they're going to, they're going to love the games, and they're going to enjoy the food, and, and everything that I do is going to make them think that I'm the best youth pastor in the entire world. But then reality slapped me in the face at the end of the night when no one wanted to play the games, no one enjoyed the food, and, they got, and I got calls from the parents that said, hey, what happened tonight? I was like, tonight was supposed to be the best youth night ever. Have you ever sat at a restaurant and you order, maybe your drink of choice is a Diet Coke, and you have finished that drink, and the waiter is coming back with a dark-colored beverage that you think, in your mind, your perception tells you it is Diet Coke, but when it is sat in front of you, and you take that first drink and that your mind is telling you this is going to be Diet Coke, but then root beer reaches out and slaps you into reality as it hits your taste buds. And you realize, hey, no matter what my perception told me today, reality is, is this is not Diet Coke. In other words, perception or reality does not change based on our perception. Reality is, however, a fixed factor in the equation of life. But the perception of that reality is a variable. My perception of reality can be distorted, can be changed. Can I tell you, Pentecostals, we do not need to let our reality change. Reality does not change no matter who's in office, no matter what a government official says, no matter what the news cycle says. Reality is truth. It is never going to change. This is why the enemy will try his best to lie to us because if he can get our perception of ourselves or our perception of others to be affected, then our perception of reality can be changed. What reality are you talking about today? Can I tell you this word of God is our reality. This is truth. Uh, this is the only truth. This is the only way. It's not a way. It's not a, a, a multiple choice, uh, but it is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why the Bible says you must hold tight to those things which ye have heard, lest at any time you let them slip. There is, there is an enemy that will begin to lie to you, that will try to let you uh, let go of or get you to let go of the realities that you have been taught. We must hold tight to realities or truths that do not change. One reality we must hold tight to is that there is only one God. 
There's only one God. He was manifest in flesh. He was received up into glory. He, he was the express image of the invisible God. John said, I behold, I looked up and I saw one sitting on the throne. Can I tell you there is only one God. Philip had the same problem. He said, show us the Father. And it sufficeth us. And he said, hey, how long have I been with you, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can I tell you, that is a truth uh, that we have to hold tight to no matter what our perception says. No matter what our grandparents say. No matter what our aunts and uncles say. We've got to find out what truth is. Imagine if you were taught that 2 plus 2 equaled 5. And how that, just that simple Lack of that one truth would alter the course of your life, would have an effect on every aspect of your life. But aren't you thankful that we don't have to wonder? We don't have to try to figure out opinions. Uh, we can go to the Word of God and know that this is truth. He is not only just one God, but He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, Behold, I am the Lord, and I change not. In other words, he's not going to change to fit your problem. He's not going to change to fit your perception and the way that you think. There, there's, there's so many churches out there that have their own pocket version of Jesus, and they carry him around. Hey, can I tell you, he doesn't change to fit us. We must change to fit him. The Bible says that we have put on Christ. Amen. There's only one way to heaven. We grew up in Sunday school singing one, 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 one way to God. Baptized in Jesus' name. There is only one way to God. There's not several different religions. There's only one religion. There's only one truth. Amen. There's only one way to heaven. Repentance. Turning away from. A walking away from. A decision to no longer serve sin. To no longer follow after sin. It is a 180 degree turn. Some people, they give up certain things in their life, but they still hold on to a little bit of sin. Oh, they'll give up past relationships, and they'll give up the bottle, but they'll still, they'll still hold on to one little aspect and area of life that they won't give up to God, and they turn it 150 degrees, and they've made a lot of changes, and they've done so well, but they still walk right past Jesus. It's got to be a complete turn. It's got to be a complete turn. I've got to repent. I've got to be baptized because repentance does not wash the sin away. Oh, if that little boy runs out in his new church outfit and plays in the mud before church, oh, there is some repentance that says, Mom, I'm sorry, but there's got to be some cleaning up. The mud is still there. The sin is still present. Amen. And we've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. Well, why not the titles? Why not? No, because there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one saving name, and that is the name of Jesus. We must be baptized in his name for the removal or the remission of sins. And then we must be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's not his 12-step program, God. The, the, the writer said uh, that I write unto you of the common salvation. It's not hard. It's not difficult. We've got to repent. We've got to be baptized, and we've got to be filled with the Spirit if we're going to make it to heaven. We must be born again of water. And of spirit, if we're going to see the kingdom of God. We must also hold tight to the reality that we must live a life of holiness, of separation, 
of I'm not interested in looking like the world. I'm not interested in dressing like Vogue magazine. I'm not interested in fitting in with the cover of GQ. I'm not interested in this world's trends. Uh, hey, I want to be separated from the world. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a bad thing to be separated. You're showing people that there is another way to live, that there's a better way to live. There is a hope in this, in this world. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. The Bible also says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. If we're going to make it, we've got to live a life that is separate from this world. One reality that in this day and age is such a hard struggle when our culture is riddled with anti-authority propaganda and groups that say, I don't want any authority in my life. I don't want any policing. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. This is a reality that we must hold tight to in this day and age is that we have to have a pastor. We've got to have a man of God. Hey, if I'm going to make it, the Bible says, how shall they be saved unless they hear? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? I've got to have a man of God in my life. I wish there was a few more amens today. I've got to have a pastor. I can't make it without a man of God that says this is the way we should go. This is the way we should live. Amen. The Bible says I'll give you pastors after my own heart. That's when people get crossed up with the man of God. They're not getting crossed up with just the man of God. They're getting crossed up with God himself because God put the man there. You say, well, I voted him in. I signed a card. I did this and that. Hey, it's God's man. Amen. There are only two genders. Who would have ever thought we would have had to establish that? Hey, can I tell you, this world is going crazy. This world is going crazy. They have adult... I read this the other day. They have adult daycare centers in major cities throughout the U.S. Adult daycare centers where you can go into a safe space and sit on the ground and act like a three-year-old and color a picture and eat, and eat goldfish and, and drink Capri Suns for a few hours to disconnect from the stressful life that we live. And we're the ones that are crazy. There's a reality that Again, in this time and day, we've got to hold tight to. we got to be at church. We need to be in the house of God. Oh, come on. There were days that people in the old days used to ride miles on horseback to a sawdust-covered floor in a church where they could have, they could have a move of the Holy Ghost. But today, uh, uh, it's so hard to get in an air-conditioned car and make your way to the house of God. Hey, in this day and age, we need to be at service every time the doors are open. This has got to be more than Sunday morning religion. Uh, this has got to be more than just showing your face one time a month, uh, one time a week. Uh, I've got to be at the house of God every time uh, the doors are open because I don't want to miss a moment that God will speak to me. I don't want to miss uh, a moment that God's presence will sweep through the house and I can have my answer. It's not just an online sit-on-your-couch experience. This has got to go deeper than an online experience. You've got to be in the house of God. The Bible says this is reality. doesn't matter what your perception says. It says forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. That means coming into the house of God, getting a place on the pew and worshiping Jesus together. It says even so much the more 
as you see that day approaching, hey, can I tell you the signs are everywhere. If there's ever a moment that we need to be in the house of God, it's today. I'm not looking for less church. I'm looking for more church. I'm not looking for less preaching. I'm looking for more preaching. I'm not looking for less moments where I can lift my hands in the house of God, but I want to have more of Jesus. These are all realities we've got to hold on to. But these seem to be the most taught ones, the most easy to comprehend. The ones that most people do not have a major problem with. But there are other realities that people struggle with. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Hey, if God has led you to this house, if he's filled you with the Spirit, can I tell you, you're a son, you're a child, you're a daughter of God. For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. I don't think there was an accident as a writer under the influence of the Holy Ghost began to pin uh, these words. I do not believe there was an accident in the word as he wrote the spirit of adoption. You see, I did not have a choice in what gender my child, either one of my children were. I did not have a choice and what eye color they had, what hair color they had, which side of the family that their features favored. I did not have a decision in that. And thank God I got two daughters that look just as beautiful as their mom. You wonder why I'm ugly is because they took all my looks. They took all my hair too. But there was not a, a choice. I just got what I got, Brother Bradford. And I'm thankful for it. But there is something that happens in adoption where you get to handpick. You get to choose. I hope some people are getting a hold of this today. You get to choose who you, who you pick as a child. We have some friends of our family that, that they have two older siblings, uh, two older children, their teenage years. One's married. And they have these two children and they could not have any more. And so they decided to adopt one. And the older children would grumble and complain and say, why aren't you getting on to her like you did us? And she's such a brat and she's so unruly. And why don't you do something about her? And the father would ingest and joking around say, hey, I didn't pick you, but I picked her. You better be careful how you talk about her. Can I tell you that God handpicked you? you got to understand, what, no matter what the devil says, that you're wore out, that God doesn't care about you, that God doesn't love you, you got to understand that God adopted you. You were not just born into this without a choice. But God said, hey, I want to fill that one with the Holy Ghost. I want that one to be my child. I want that one to sit on the pew and do a work for me. I want you, and I want you. And if we are his children, then we are heirs with him. In other words, if God has joy, I can have joy. If he's the God of peace, then I can have peace. 
Amen. If he has a spirit that conquers all things, then I can be a conqueror in the spirit of God. I can be a conqueror in the Holy Ghost. My, my pastor, his father was the former pastor of my home church, and they, they went out to lunch at someone's house in the, in the church, and, and this person had a few children that were a little older than my pastor at the time that was about, I don't know, 8, 10 years old, somewhere in there. And they go out to this person's house, and in the course of playing outside, my pastor decides to get in the front seat, the driver's seat of his father's car. And that sibling, that person that was the child of the individuals whose house they were at, looked at him and said, get out of that car. And very stubbornly, he shook his head no. He said, hey, get out of that car. That's not your car. That's your dad's car. He said, whatever's my dad's is mine. Can I tell you, you may just have a room in your parents' house, but you can go ahead and say that's your house as well. You may have a back seat in the truck. You may have a back seat and a car seat, but hey, that's your truck too. No, no matter what goes on in life, whatever ha God has in victory, whatever ha God has, uh, you can be partakers of. We are partakers of. We are joint heirs with him. Amen. We got to understand who we are. If you don't know who you are, you can be told who you are. You can be dictated to who you are. If you don't know you're a child of God, then the devil can tell you you're a loser. The devil can tell you you're a sinner. And guess what? It's really easy to sin if you think you're a sinner. But when you realize you're a child of God, you realize, hey, I've got a responsibility because I'm going to shine forth the praises of my Father. I'm going to shine. I am, I am a child of God. When someone begins to act out in this world, if, if someone goes off on a killing spree, one of the first things they want to do is sit down. Whenever a child begins to have a problem, they want to sit down and say, how were you raised? Every action that happens dictates a, a look back to your father or the lack thereof. Can I tell you today, we need to have a father in our lives. We need to have a heavenly father. Amen. But when we get that father, when we are adopted by the spirit of God, then we have a responsibility to not say anything we want to say, not go anywhere we want to go. Why? Because we're shining forth his praises. We're, we're, we're a, a representation of our father. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are a chosen people. We are a royal generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are the light of God for this city. That means I can't give the waitress a piece of my mind. Some people don't have that many pieces to give away. You better keep all you have. But we can't just act any old way we want to because we are shining forth our, our Father's example. We are shining forth the life that we should live for him. Can I tell you, God handpicked you and put you here. And God has a purpose for your life. Can I tell you, God's purpose for you is not to just sit on a pew and do nothing. Really, if you want to dig down into it, God's purpose for you is for you to help save the lost. In any way that you can, whether it be a program, whether it be something you can do in the church to help facilitate evangelism, whether it's walking through your grocery store and telling someone about Jesus. Hey, your testimony is more than just for you to ruminate on. Your testimony should be used to reach out to others. The whole reason why 
I, I, I've went through things in my life, Brother Bradford, so that I can reach out and tell somebody about the goodness of God. The whole reason why I believe that I don't have a scar down the center of my chest that I should have had at four years old when they were going to rip my chest open and perform open heart surgery because one of the valves in my heart was deformed, almost completely closed. And on the morning of the surgery, I had parents that raised me in the house of God, and I'm thankful. To the very last moment, they went every service until the morning, uh, the morning of the surgery. They were still praying and believing God. And when they were prepping me and hooked me up to IV, they, they wheeled me back and took one more x-ray. And when the doctor walked in, he was holding two charts in his hands. And he had tears in his eyes. And he looked at my father and said, I don't know what happened, but this was the chart that we took before, and this is the one we took today. And they don't look the same. There's a brand new heart. My dad said, I know what happened. God healed him. And he said that he had to have because there is no scientific way this could have happened. Why did I go through that? So I can tell someone else that God's a healer, that God is mighty to heal, that no matter what you're going through, I serve a God that by his stripes I am healed. James chapter 1 verse 23 says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. I know we've heard a lot of messages that talk about when we see our natural face, our sinful man. And the word of God pricks our hearts and shows us the way uh, uh, that we should correct our, our sin and, and that we should repent over some things. But can I tell you in this message today, I want you to realize you're a child of God and that when you walk out of this service, uh, don't let the devil get on your shoulder and say you're not worth anything and you're not good enough. Uh, you need to walk out today and say, hey, I remember what manner of man I am. I know what God has called me to be. Ladies, uh, I know what God has called me to look like and to be an example for this world. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If you start believing that you're not a child of God, you slip back into that old sinful nature. And sin will reign and have power again. But when that devil starts lying to you, just remember, I'm a child of God. I don't do that. I don't watch that. I don't go there because I'm a child of God. All the problems of life begin with our perception. Every issue of life, every trouble that we come to in life begins and stems from the way that we think. That guy cut me off on purpose. So now I'm going to get road rage and I'm going to take matters into my own hands. When that person didn't even see you. They could have been going uh, 90 miles an hour into the back of a semi and they saw just enough of a gap not to die. And so they scooted over. But he cut me off on purpose. He did it on purpose. And see how our perception begins to get us in trouble. That lady sped past me and then got in front of me and slowed down to five miles under the speed limit. She knows that I have a doctor's appointment today. She knows I'm late to pick up my kids. She's doing this on purpose. See how our perception starts to get us in trouble. Let me talk about where some of us live. The pastor doesn't like me. 
because he looked in my general direction and laughed before service. You think that sounds crazy? But I'll tell you what, it took a man right from the front row that he took a pen and wrote his name under the pew and said, this is my spot and nothing's going to move me. One morning, him and my pastor and his mother were standing at the office door on the side of the platform. And as he was looking out over the congregation, seeing who all was there present for prayer, as prayer service was just beginning to start, his eyes landed upon this, this man that sat on the front row as his mother told the punchline to a joke. And he just began to snicker a little bit, smile, and his eyes rested upon this man for just a brief moment. And then he went into the office, his mother following him. This man's life began to spiral out of control after that instance. Took him from the front row, the loudest one in the prayer, prayer service, to the back row with his arms folded. Pretty soon it took him through a bad decision of trying to rob a local bank and landed him in prison where he wrote a letter that said, I remember the moment when you and your mother laughed and told jokes about me as you went in your office for tea and crumpets. Perception will get you so messed up. That's why I've got to die out daily. That's why I've got to bring my mind, my thoughts back into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Oh, that brother or sister are against me. They're talking about me. Oh, the church doesn't love me because nobody asked how I was doing today. Well, maybe they didn't have a half an hour for you to complain about how bad life was today. God doesn't love me because he hasn't answered my prayer. You can see as perception begins to have its effect on our lives. Perception is so powerful. One example is in false pregnancy. There is a symptom where women are known to begin to feel the changes in their body that are associated with being pregnant. The abdomen begins to swell in some cases. As in other cases, ladies have dictated that they will begin to feel a moving fetus on the inside. This article said most of false pregnancies are purely psychological. In most cases, doctors misdiagnose a woman as being pregnant and because they adhere to and listen to the word of the doctor, all the changes begin to happen in the body as if she were pregnant just because she took the word of the doctor. Hey, when I take the word of the enemy, things begin to change in my life. Hey, I've got to be careful. I've got to be careful how the enemy affects my life. I want to ask you today, how do you perceive yourself? Gideon had a problem with his perception. Gideon had a way of thinking that was not lining up with the way that God thought about him. You see, Gideon thought he was a failure. He thought he was a coward. He thought he was not able to overcome his enemy. He thought that he was not able to make it through the problem that was facing him. He thought that he was in the same boat of hiding away from the enemy and going through the same generational curse that his parents had. But the devil, just like Gideon, the devil will try to label you and make you believe you're something. Make you believe that you're not worth God's time. Make you believe that you can't make it through the tests in front of you. 
But what I'm interested in is what does God think about me? No matter what this whole flesh tries to tell me, what does God think about me? The Bible says his thoughts are good and not of evil. The thoughts that he thinks towards us are of good and not of evil. What does God think? God looked down on Gideon and said, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon's perception did not line up with that statement. Some of you today may be going through a problem, a circumstance, and God's saying you're more than an overcomer. And your perception has no way of, of latching on to that reality. Not only do we struggle with the perception of ourselves, but there's a perception of how others perceive us. We let others' perceptions affect us so much. We have to get the selfie just right. We have to edit it and filter it before we post it because we don't want any negative comments. Then, if you're to meet that person in public, they're a foot shorter, they're two feet wider, and they're ten years older than what their picture said. We have to get the likes and the thumbs up and the uplifting comments. We care more about others' perception than we do reality. As long as people think I'm doing okay, it doesn't matter if I have no money in my bank account. If everybody thinks I'm, I'm doing well, it doesn't matter if I'm on welfare. See, we begin to think too much about others' perception. Reality does not change. It does not matter. Reality does not matter to today's generation. They're all interested in perception. This world is full of half-truths, lies, deception. The news would rather depict the reality they want you to believe than the actual truth. But can I tell you, we, we have a God that says truth will make you free. If you just buy into the truth, the truth uh, will make you free from the snares of this world. David did not let how others perceived him affect his decisions. He didn't let the down votes on Facebook dictate his decisions in life. In fact, his father did not even give him the dignity of when the prophet was looking for a king. Oh, anybody else but David. Didn't even give him the dignity of calling him in as one of his sons. And the prophet said, do you have anybody else? Oh, surely if David would have let those around him and how they perceived him affect him, we would have never had a story of a king named David. We'd have said, if, hey, if he doesn't think I can do it, I'm just not going to do it. If he, I'm not even going to go and stand before the prophet. His father didn't even call him. The person didn't even comment or like his Instagram post because everybody thought he was unworthy, unfit, an outcast, and all he was good for was to be a shepherd boy. But he did not let how other people thought about him. Well, what, if, what are they going to think if I go to the altar? What are they going to think if I begin to repent? What are they going to, hey, it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what he thinks. I'm interested in not what my flesh thinks about my life, not what, not what this world thinks, not what the person across the pew thinks. I'm interested in what he thinks. We find perception problems all the way in the beginning of mankind. As the serpent comes to Eve, Eve being the very perfect depiction of what woman a woman was supposed to be. There was not anything left out. God had done it perfectly. She was not lacking in any area. God had the first perfect woman. And Eve was able to be swayed by the lies of the serpent. 
and said, you can be so much more. You can, you can be as a God. Your eyes will be open. And she began to look at herself, perceive herself as a life that was lacking and missing something. And she bought into a false reality. Adam perceived himself as being alone. Or maybe he had bought into the same lie that Eve had. And because of this, he takes the fruit as well. But we see as Jesus comes, as that second Adam, as that man without sin, as that man uh, that was robed in, perfect, in perfection, as, as he was robed in flesh, Jesus came. Uh, and when the devil approaches him in the wilderness, he, he finds a person that knows exactly who he is, that he cannot sway his perception. He says, why don't you, uh, why don't you uh, bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, hey, I know who I am. Don't you know the scripture says, tempt not the Lord thy God. Hey, can I tell you, you got to understand that I am a child of God. You see, the enemy was trying to get Jesus to buy in to a false reality. Things that are false or untrue become a reality to us because we choose to believe those things. I'll give you an example. We were grasshoppers in our sight. So we were in their sight. You see, their perception started with them, and it began to distort what reality was in their life. They perceived it and believed in a false reality. And they did not receive the promises of God. Gehazi could not see the army. All he could see was the threat that was in front of him. He could not see the armies of God. He could only see what his eyes were showing him. He perceived what the enemy wanted him to perceive. But can I tell you the situation was not what it seemed to be. Can I tell you your situation is not what it seems to be. That giant isn't there for a purpose of taking you out. Hey, that army isn't there. That trial in front of you isn't there. God has a purpose for it. God has a reason why it's all happening. Hey, but you need to let God open up your eyes and see the truth or the reality as God opened the eyes of Gehazi and he saw behind that army chariots of fire and horsemen of fire that were standing the armies of the Lord. You're not alone in your circumstance. God is with you. God is for you. I want you to think about Peter, and I'm hurrying to a close. As they say, you were with him. Even your speech betrays you. You're one of those that was with Jesus. And there's a first accusation. He says, no, I don't know him. And the second, and finally the third, I do not believe that he just cursed out of spite, but I believe... Uh, uh, not because of the questioning and, and anger, but I believe he was hurt and he had bought into a false reality. That the devil was on his shoulder saying, see, God's gone. You're all by yourself again. You might as well start talking like the sailor you used to be. You might as well start cursing like the sailor you used to be. And the devil will try his best to isolate you and try to get you to go back to that old life. But when the reality was, uh, Jesus told them, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come and live in you. He told them, I am a friend uh, that's sticking closer than a brother. That's what reality was. God has not forgotten about you. 
Can I tell you the devil is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is the inventor of the lie. He is the master of the lie. He is a part of his nature. So when you understand that, you understand that when he speaks to you, it must simply be a lie. You see, the devil's trying to get you to change your perception so he can get you to buy into false realities. If he says you can't make it, it means you can make it. If he says that you uh, can't get the Holy Ghost, it means you can have the Holy Ghost today. If he says that you're worthless to God, it means that you are his treasure and the apple of his eye. If he says your pastor doesn't love you, it means your pastor loves you and is praying for you and is reaching out to heaven for your life. If the enemy says you can't be healed, you just keep on coming because you can be healed. You just keep on believing. If he says that you can't live for God, it means you can live for God. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Webster's definition of imagination is this, the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present nor never before perceived in reality. We war by casting down the lies of the enemy and bringing our mind back into reality, bringing our mind back in alignment with the truth of God's word and obedience to that word. It's not enough just to hear the word, but we've got to be a doer also. It's not enough just to hear the word, but it's, it's got to be faith that rises up and says, I believe that word, and I'm going to respond to that word. Let the weak say I am strong. Why? Because God understands if you can start believing you're strong, then one day you're going to get up on your feet, and you're going to say, in spite of my weak condition, I know in my flesh I'm weak, but if I just believe I'm strong, it's going to drive me to an altar. If I believe I'm strong, I'm going to walk in and dance in victory and dance in deliverance, and I'm going to have faith that I am strong. If I can get my faith to line up with what God says. But if we're not careful, we believe the lie of the enemy. And what is a lie or a false truth becomes a reality to us. The reality we see because of our perception. But God has spoken some precious and true promises to us. His promises are yea and amen. It does not matter what our reality or our perception says. God will bring to fruition that which he promised. Acts 2 and 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That is reality. Oh, but the Holy Ghost isn't for me. That's perception. The Bible says, reality says it is for you. It's for your children. It's for all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Oh, but the Holy Ghost is a gift, but it's not a necessity for salvation. That is perception talking. But reality says unless you're born again of the water and the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, I can come to church and worship however I want. Perception. Esau had that perception. I can just offer God whatever I want. He's just going to take a rutabaga and 
and, and, and a pumpkin and some tomatoes. And that's good enough. That's all you get, God. And God looked down at him and said, if you do good, won't you also be accepted? But the Bible says, reality says, I would that men everywhere lift up holy hands. It says, pray without ceasing. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Not because you have triumph. You see, there's perception again. With a voice of triumph, but we don't have triumph. We're standing here with lamps that are covered uh, with a little light, covered with a pot. We're going to shout with a voice of triumph, and we don't have triumph. We're 300 men. But because they let their perception line up with God's reality, the pots were broken, the light was shown, and they yelled and they screamed at the top of their lungs, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And you can see as his reality, his perception of himself begins to change after that moment. As the victory is won, God told them to say the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Gideon's perception, something snaps, something clicks into place, and we see a different Gideon after that moment. As he goes and he tears down the tower of Penuel, he takes captive the two kings and he begins to work and he begins to take the sword and begins to go forth in victory. We've got to let our perception line up with God's reality. Praise him in the dance. Brother Boggs, don't you know we don't dance on Sunday mornings? That's a perception. I got one helping me. <laughs> perception. We don't dance on Sunday morning. Reality, we are Pentecostal, and we move when and however God moves. Quit letting our perception hold us back. Oh, Sunday night's our Holy Ghost service. I think every service should be Holy Ghost service. I think every service should be a moving, powerful touch of the Holy Ghost. Saint of God, don't live with your head down. You're a son of God. He calls you his own. He knows you by your name. Another reality. God has given us this city. Come on, God's given us a city. This city doesn't belong to the enemy. This city doesn't belong to the prince and the principality of the air. This city belongs to you, to God. We need to start believing that. That if I have the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in my body, then everywhere I walk, God walks. Everywhere I go, the Holy Ghost goes. Wherever I go, whatever store I walk into, the Holy Ghost is there. And I'm taking dominion. I get, I get confused when, when, a, when a man of God will get up and say, it would be wonderful for someone to get the Holy Ghost today. And we're thankful for every soul. Heaven rejoices over everyone. But we just limited God to one. I wish that we would have one good family come into the church this year. And we just limited God to one because of our perception. You see, it wasn't the guest, it wasn't the visitor that had a problem with faith. The woman with the issue of blood didn't have a problem with faith. Blind Bartimaeus didn't have a problem with faith. But he looked at his disciples and said, Oh, ye of little faith, wherein did thou doubt? Why not this year 250 be added to the church? The Bible says, for there, this is reality, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or few. You say, Brother Boggs, that's a little out there. Hey, I, I believe that God is willing to do exceeding 
abundantly above all that I can think or ask. Hey, if I can comprehend 250, he can give 3,000 souls in one day. We need to start believing God for the abundantly above. Why do we always go to the few? Why not believe for the many? Why not believe for new church works to be planted? Why not believe that God can have a revival in the midst of a COVID atmosphere, in the midst of shutdowns, in the midst of everything going in opposition seemingly to revival? Why not believe that God can do it today? I've got to get my perception to line up. If I believe there's 250 added to the church this year, that's going to make me go out in faith and knock on a door and tell someone in the department store and reach out to my lost loved ones. I've just got to get my perception to line up with God's reality. I believe someone today, if you get your perception right, you could see all the answers to your prayers and problems. But Brother Boggs, I'm bound. I'm in bondage. The devil has me bound. That's perception talking again. Because my Bible says, Jesus speaking, I have led captivity captive. My Bible says, if Christ has made you free, you are free indeed. That means the devil doesn't own bondage any longer. God is free. So all you got to do is start acting like you're free. Open that prison cell. Open that false reality that's in front of you and walk out in Jesus' name. I have a friend. I'm hurrying. I have a friend that is a deputy sheriff that in booking a someone that he's arrested into, into the jail, oftentimes he takes the cuffs off of them and they stand there sometimes for 10 to 15 minutes as he's going through the process of booking. And they say, officer, can you take these cuffs off? And he'll look at them and say, I took them off 10 minutes ago. But something in their mind is telling the bite of the steel is still there. There's some things that the devil has told you that says that you're still bound. And you're living in a false prison cell. You're living in a, a prison cell whose bars are just a mirage. I wish someone could believe this today. That if you can get out of your pew and quit acting like you're bound. The devil does not hold the monopoly on bondage. God took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And God unlocked the door. God already paid for your deliverance. But the problem is our perception says, well, I can't. I don't know how it's going to happen. Our perception tells us, well, God's not able to get me out of this mess. If you can get your perception to line up that says uh, he is the almighty God, that he's able to save, uh, that he's able to deliver, that he's able to restore, that he's able to heal. And if you can believe it and act in faith, like Daniel said, Daniel purpose in his heart. You've got a purpose in your heart that I am going to make it. You've got a purpose in your heart. I am going to receive the Holy Ghost. You've got a purpose in your heart that I am going to be healed. You've got a purpose in your heart that I am going to be delivered. I wonder if we can come to this altar this morning. Come on, come saying, I know I can make it. I know I can make it through. I know you're able to do exceeding abundantly above. I know that you're able, God. Hallelujah. He is jealous for me. 
Come on, he loves you, saint of God. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. Come on, he loves you today. Come on, he wants to fill you with the Spirit. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, and it takes us open in our heart and say, God, I believe. I believe you died for me. God, I believe so much that I'm reaching out to grab a hold of salvation this morning. Your affections are for 